Welcome to the next in the series of Into Trade Ireland's All Island Innovation Programme podcasts. Today we're in DCU where we are listening to a seminar by Henry Joseph Grant. Henry is originally from Draperstown in County Derry, London Derry, and is a very successful entrepreneur. Today, Henry Joseph Grant is talking about how to scale globally with limited funding and or investment. And we have joined him on site at one of his masterclasses with a group of SMEs. I should also mention Intertrade Ireland run a series of equity advisory clinics around the island that are actually aimed at startups seeking to raise funds. In terms of what your mission is, you need to be very clear in what you're trying to do. Um, obviously, if you're an aggregator like Just Eat, you're not trying to re-educate restaurant owners how to be running a restaurant. They know how to do that. What you need to do is that you tell them how you're going to add value and basically what you're going to achieve with them. And more importantly, you're going to manage their expectations. Your seminar today was about how to scale globally with limited funding and investing. Can you give me a synopsis about that? Sure. During my career so far, um, We've never, I've never really been in a company that's had the luxury of having too much funding. You know, it's always kind of a shoestring budget and you have to be really thinking outside of the box and um, ensuring that you can do a lot with very little. And yeah, I mean, you, you have to be very frugal and you also, if you are going to take funding, have to understand exactly what kind of funding is right for you. Um, so I really wanted to kind of convey that to the room that obviously that this whole kind of trend where the newspapers and the blogs and stuff all care about announcing funding is great, but it's not really the finish line. You know, you have to kind of still create the business, you still have to grow it and do something with the funding. And I think what people fail to realize is actually the funding is actually just more pressure to do it quickly, right? So the type of funding you get is important. And then also the, um, the, 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 the direction you're going is to obviously be thinking about the goals of the investors. You know, if you get investors who are, you know, very aggressive and need you to exit really quickly and stuff like that, as I mentioned in the talk, then it will maybe sometimes sway you down a path that is a quick direction for you, but the wrong direction. How did you get into this topic? What's so fascinating about it? I'm very passionate about growing businesses that actually make the world a better or smoother place. When it comes to business, I really like to get my head down and work my ass off and make things happen. And I think, you know, what I really wanted to get across, and this is something that I'm passionate about, is actually changing the narrative, you know, Startups and SMBs and growing businesses, not purely about um, everything being right. It's actually doing a lot with what you've got and ensuring that obviously you've got a very clear plan in doing so. So I think I really was trying to provoke people to think and ask questions about their own business. And then when we latterly did the workshop, um, I think people really did start to actually think about how they convey the message and how simple it is and really understand what their problem is. Because even when people were explaining their problem during the workshop, they had trouble to get people in the room to understand it. So you have to kind of take that into a fundraising example and then people will never be investing in you because they don't understand what you're doing. There is no Swiss Army Knife approach to actually scaling at all. Um, you know, you can read all the books you like and listen to all the podcasts and, you know, listen to the Kool-Aid that the Silicon Valley guys talk about. But you need to have a very individualised approach into every market you go into. Now, that actually might be countrywide. It actually might be citywide. It might even be areas in the, in the city, right? Or if you're a consumer business. And if you're actually more of a software business or whatever it may be, it might be, you know, your enterprise customers you have to have a very different strategy for that you have with your SMBs. Do you have any examples of what you've done in terms of helping a small business owner? I met a startup called Carquids, which um, is a really, really um, cool startup. What they do is they actually brand people's own car. 
um, and then pay them for the privilege. So they basically will sell the advertising space on your car to a big brand or a local brand or whatever yeah. it may be and pay you 100 euros per month. Now that will pay for your car insurance. So your car essentially starts paying for itself. Um, great business. The problem was is they were selling B2B um, space, you know, with the advertising space. They wasn't big enough in terms of going to media agencies and buying agencies to get into the big brands. And with the smaller brands, it wasn't giving them national campaigns. So they had this chicken and the egg kind of situation where they wanted to do national, good profitable campaigns so they could grow their business and grow their team. Um, so basically they approached uh, me at Seacamp Week. We had long conversations. I gave them some experience of how to really refine and, um, and define their um, sales processes. But I also gave them some intros. And one of those intros led to, a, I think it was a 30,000 um, pound deal, um, which meant they could pay two salaries out of that, right? So, so I think, you know, I mean, mentoring, a lot of people think it's about you preaching and telling people what to do. A lot of the time, it's actually listening. You know, you just listen to what their problem is. You know, you probably haven't got an answer for it most of the time, um, and you can't help. But if you have got an, um, you know, a bit of experience in a similar kind of way, and, um, you know, I really, I really do take pride in that because I think the, you know, I do believe that, you know, the little that you do learn in life, and you never know everything, um, you should share. You also mentioned in your seminar that um, a startup is a race against time. Sure. What does that mean? Just that. It's, it's literally a race against time. So you have a milestone to achieve, which could be a lot of things. It could be to actually get X amount of revenue so you can go and raise a round, or you go and get X amount of customers so you can get this, or you go and get a big marquee kind of lighthouse brand so you can then go and sell to other people with a testimonial. And there's lots of different ways of doing it. And I think, you know, I mean, those milestones vary from company, company to company, but if you don't hit those milestones, then it's very likely that you're not going to hit the other milestones that's attached to that as well, right? I mean, it makes it even harder and harder and harder. And I think you're kind of living in quicksand. You're always sinking, always sinking as an entrepreneur. Most entrepreneurs fail in the first year anyway. So you have to kind of really um, fight for survival. And, um, and I think the, the art is, is actually to understand when you're out of your depth or you're not going to be able to do it. You know? And I think you know, a lot of entrepreneurs become very miserable because obviously they, they feel that they're in all in. You know, I met entrepreneurs, I mentored a girl in Manchester in the UK, for example, that had spent about 35K to build a website. And you know, it, it wasn't that great a website. And I was like, look, you know, my advice to you is, is, is cut your losses because you've got no more money to put into it. You've not really got any monetization or anything like that. Go and work for another brand in, in cosmetics or you know, the industry that she was in. And, um, and then maybe revisit in the future, but do it as a side project. Don't risk your whole life and your home and your livelihood on it. Um, and then basically, yeah, she did that. So she went to join a cosmetic company and then smashed it. Absolutely a great job for them. And then they've allowed her to launch her own brand within in, in the company. So they've done a joint venture again. So she's now an entrepreneur with a company that she went to work for. So it kind of turned out great. And she's always like, oh, so thank you for that advice because she couldn't see the wood from the trees because she thought she had to keep on going. You need someone to point you in the direction for it. And generally that's where you know where it is anyway, but you just need someone to tell you that and it confirms what you already know. Because I think when there's emotion involved and you've been working on something for a while or you're at a crossroads, sometimes the emotion kind of clouds your vision. And as an entrepreneur and founder, you need to be able to really push yourself to actually um, build on your skill set. So, so yeah, so I think advice is really important. And um, yeah, um, you know, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm not too shy to ask for it, but I think you know, really it's, it's really making sure people know that they can do the same. You did also mention about not comparing or benchmarking yourself mm -hmm. to other competitive businesses. Yeah. Uh, why is that? What I think is more important than actually comparison is actually introspection and actually looking at yourself, really understanding your weaknesses and understanding what you can't do, 
understanding what your strengths are, maybe that's the product level or the team level, and, um, and then making the changes necessary to actually get that skill set that you haven't got. Because one of the biggest things that I see with entrepreneurs is they want to do everything themselves. They're like kind of, I could do this, and they've got the tenacity, and they've got all of the great skills, but eventually you will burn yourself out. And you need to actually have people to, to, to fight the battles with you and get you know, a kind of um, you know, a complementary skill set. So comparison for me is not about actually looking at um, you know, where I am against other people, but it's actually looking at how can I interact with other people? How can I add value? How can they add value to me? You know, how can we be sort of helpful to each other really and symbiotic? And I think any business, whatever you are, deep tech, an SMB, a farm, whatever it is, you have to communicate with people, whether it's a supplier or a partner or a team member and stuff as well. So I think you know, for me, don't compare yourself to other people, but also compare yourself to who you are. And are there risks uh, for expanding small businesses? Um, and if there are, what are they? If something works, and it, or not even if it's worked, something is, is small, the stakes are less. So obviously you haven't got a situation where you know, um, you're gonna have like 100 people that could potentially be out of a job you know, when you scale. You know, you've got a few people, you know, maybe you and a co-founder and a laptop or whatever. So if it goes wrong, it's not nice. You know, you may have lost a bit of money or, you know, you might have lost other people's money. So, you know, of course, you're going to be heartbroken. But, you know, pe people other than your own livelihood, no one else is really getting hurt by it. Right. The risk is two things is one is actually that you actually ruin your whole business because you actually have scaled too fast and actually take your eye off the ball and, and pivot and go the wrong direction. So you're running very quickly in the wrong direction. And the second thing is you might fall out of love of it. You know, you might actually scale it and think, I don't enjoy this anymore. You know, when you're actually smaller, you can have a lot of creative control and you can kind of, you know, be the life and soul of the company. But, you know, when you try and multiply your business and you know, you've got 100 to 250 employees plus, it's very hard to kind of, um, you know, have the same kind of operation you had when you're smaller. If you go and try and make too much noise too early, then you can hang yourself because obviously you can actually get a lot of people pushing back and saying what you're doing is not great. You know, you get a lot of bad reviews and lots of stuff like that. Don't feel you have to run before you can walk in any kind of manner, whether it's PR, and the expansion, or whatever it may be. You can lose a lot of momentum in where you're actually good at going and risking it and going and doing more. Are there any specific issues or thoughts if a small business owner is moving into a different market? You look at Uber. Uber is a great example. They went into China, spent a fortune, billions, and actually realised they're never going to win the market. And the reason for that is, it's actually the, the, the audience they're trying to reach and also the, um, the way that business is conducted and also the way that um, things are regulated over there is very, very different from anywhere else in the world they experienced. Um, so the local market leader actually won the market and I think they did like a, a co-investment in each other or something to like Uber exited the market. And I think they did that in Southeast Asia too. Um, so even with all the investment that Uber's got and the, you know, the high and mighty powers they've got and the policy makers and all of the different um, operational beasts and machine they have, um, they struggled. And I think you know, that really highlights to me that you know, even if you have the luxury of funding and money, you're going to make a lot of mistakes, whether you're them or someone very small just trying to export to China or to Dubai or wherever it is, or you know, go and open a new office or employ people. It's very hard. Um, and then also, there's a lot of regulation that comes with that. So you might actually do things that are actually illegal, you know, in terms of actually accountancy, taxation, and stuff as well. So you need to be really ensuring that obviously you're not going to destroy um, the the, the um, professional aspects of your business and also operationally as I mentioned in the talk you know it's very hard to manage people across continent across country different time zones different languages different cultures as well so I think the risk is sometimes is that you know you haven't really got the processes in place which will um, make the scaling work so you go and scale and you do open an office in another country but it just doesn't do anything because obviously you can't manage the people you haven't got the right recruiting um, process there or you know, the management of people, people are very underwhelmed because obviously they don't feel part of the company, they feel adjacent to it. Um, so yeah, I think it's, there's a lot of different reasons, practically, operationally, also culturally.
I know some of the questions today that were raised was about how do small business owners actually raise any funds? Where, yeah. do, where do the funds come from? How do they do it? You know? yeah, the, the raising money is always going to be hard, but I think there's good resources out there. There's a book that I recommend that's a free download um, called The Fundraising Field Guide. If you Google it, it's by Carlos Eduardo um, from Seacamp. And it's a free download both on Amazon and also his website. And that walks you through every single stage of fundraising, which is much better than I could explain. If you were going to give me some advice for small business owners mm -hmm. into scaling globally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. tell me what you'd say. If I could pick three things. Number one is um, process, process, process. So make sure that you know, you've got um, you know, a good operation in, in the market you're in already. You know, if you go, and go to other markets and you've got very uh, weak um, sales management processes or accountancy processes, they're definitely going to be weak in another country and times that by 10. So make sure the process is ready. Um, number two is, um, you know, consider factors such as language and time zone and, um, and, and, and the like really. I mean, you know, obviously if, if you're in, um, you know, the European Union, it obviously it makes sense maybe to go to a close country within the European Union because it's the same currency, hopefully some of the same laws as well, um, depending on what you're doing. Um, but I think when you go further afield and, and especially when there's different languages involved in time zones, it gets quite hard to manage in terms of actually, um, you know, you can't be in two places at once. So you need to have people that you trust, etc. And number three, is I think, you know, ask yourself, do you need to? You know, maybe you don't need to go global. Sometimes you can do it completely remotely and um, you can open up that market. To find out more about the All Island Innovation Programme and the additional support your business can avail of, such as our SECOM competition and funding for growth, visit the Intertrade Ireland website on intertradeireland.com and you can listen to the full masterclass recording on the Intertrade Ireland website if you want to learn more.